You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this evening. We turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 43. We'll read the verses 1 to 12, as well as verse 25. The text this evening is taken from the first seven verses of Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf, All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of them foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed nor will there be any one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Our text then this evening comes from Isaiah 43, the verses 1 to 7. Well, of the congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, another year is almost over. Well, something else as well, and another decade is almost over too. Why, it seems as if not that long ago we stepped over from 1999 into the year 2000. And maybe some of you still recall the Y2K scare. All your computers were going to crash, right, when the clock struck midnight. And we all needed to stock up on extra food because you never knew just what might happen in that new year and turn of the century. Well, now tonight, 2010 looms before us, and a new decade, the decades of the 2010s, is about to begin. 
And what it will bring, we, of course, do not know. Although it does not take too much to predict that it will, in some ways, be a lot more of the same old. In other words, most likely more environmental concerns, more terrorism attacks, more Canadian deaths in Afghanistan, more bad stuff from radical Islam, more economic news, ugly, bad, good, more social stuff, more news relating to drugs, alcohol, and substance abuse, more sickness, sadness, and death. In short, the future is not exactly something that tends to fill us with a lot of hope these days and a lot of optimism. And yet, before we together get all gloomy and depressed, it's good to remind ourselves that we are not stepping over into 2010 alone and all by ourselves. Now, as we do so, we do well to remind ourselves that someone else is going with us. We have a companion, a guide, a helper, a defender. Yes, and he is ultimately the one who changes everything for us. He enables us to meet the days, the weeks, and the year, and the months to come with good confidence and great hope. So I preach to you this evening on the following theme, the God who travels with us. And we're going to see that he knows our needs, that he stills our fears, that he secures our future. Well, beloved, if you want to know who it is that travels with us into a new year and into a new decade, then it's hard to find a better description of him than what you find in the prophecies of Isaiah. For many in the church, Isaiah's book remains largely unknown. And while it is common to say that Isaiah belongs among the major prophets, for many people he is still minor and rather obscure. And that's a pity. For in this Old Testament Bible book, we find the most beautiful descriptions of our God, of his promises, and of his blessings. Of course, there are fierce condemnations as well, especially in the first part of this book. But in the second part that begins with chapter 40, there is great comfort and awesome consolation to be found. Yes, and our passage this evening is an illustration of that as well. Isaiah 43 opens and we are immediately introduced to the God who knows us through and through. Indeed, no one, we dare say, knows us better. You'll notice this God introduces himself as the Lord. He has lots of names which mean lots of things. And every one of them, every one of these names has some sort of special meaning. And when he calls himself Lord, capital letters, you should know that he is speaking and identifying himself as the God of the covenant. In other words, this is his relationship name. This name, Lord, means that he has a people, a special people, that he chose already before the beginning of time, and whom he has started to call once the world was made. 
And indeed, you can say that all of history is about God calling, gathering, defending, correcting, guiding, and leading this people. To them, he came with promises, great and glorious. To them, he came with demands, weighty and holy. To them, he came with covenant curses, but also great covenant blessings. And who belong to this people, this people of God's choosing? Well, all who have the sign and seal of baptism and who have out of it. All who believe in him and confess his name. All who seek their life and their meaning in him. Yes, and that includes us as well. We who profess his name in the year 2000 or as the year 2009 flickers out may say that we belong to him and that we are part of his people. But what does that mean? What does it mean to belong to this God? Of course, it means that there is a living bond of love and faith. But yet it also means something else. It means that he knows us. And how he knows us. For look, first of all, he created us. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, verse 1. In other words, we didn't just happen. We didn't just evolve. We're not simply a collection of accidents or even of molecules. No, we've all been created by the same person. The Lord God has made us all. And indeed, he even made us in his own image and likeness. The psalmist says that he crowned us with glory and honor. That we all have value, worth, and significance because the great potter has molded and shaped us. But Isaiah goes on and he says that God has also formed us. He who formed you, he says. Now at first glance that appears to be saying the same thing, but really the Hebrew language becomes more intimate here. And it conveys the idea that very carefully, lovingly, tenderly he formed and shaped each one of us. That he did so in such a way that beauty, form, detail, and complexity were born. Now, of course, I realize that when Isaiah speaks about the Lord creating, he refers to Jacob. And when he speaks about the Lord forming, he refers and speaks about Israel. And you'll understand that both Jacob and Israel are Old Testament names. But they're Old Testament names for God's Old Testament people. But yet in the New Testament, these same names are used for God's New Testament people. We who believe are called, for example, by the Apostle Paul, the Israel of God. In other words, God's people are one. The Lord who created and formed His people then is still the one who forms and creates his people today. But look, there is also more. Isaiah goes on to say that he has redeemed us to fear not. God says, for I have redeemed you. 
And then the language here is loaded, and perhaps to get a grasp of it, you need to think of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. And you need to remember what it was that Boaz did for those two widows. In a way, he redeemed them. He set them free from poverty, namelessness, and no status. He married Ruth, and in a sense, he adopted Naomi. And thereby, he redeemed them. And so, God redeems us. Only, he doesn't redeem us simply from poverty and insignificance, but from something far greater, from sin and wickedness and oppression. And the control of the devil. And indeed, he's redeemed us by the great son of Boaz called Jesus. For he alone is the one who saves his people from their sins. And so you see, created, formed, redeemed, that's us. But look, there's one more thing. One more thing to reckon with, and you find it at the end of verse 1. I have summoned you by name. Do you hear that? The Lord God Almighty knows your name. The Lord calls you by name. And you need to understand that he calls you not simply as Peter, Paul, or Mary, but as Peter, so to speak, the Son of God the Father, as Paul, the brother of God the Son, as Mary, the sister of God the Holy Spirit. You see, we have given names, we have surnames, but we also have baptized names, adopted names. And the Lord knows them all. And you know that knowing is really the crown and the climax of what God does for us. But that means we have an identity with God. And that's the most precious thing. You've all come across people who didn't know who they really were. Perhaps they suffer from amnesia. Perhaps they're mixed up at birth. In any case, to have no name is the most terrible thing. But we all have a name. A personal name and, so to speak, a triune name. And God knows it. And God uses it. And he summons us by it. And if you ask, how does God summon us? Well, notice, and that's a rather interesting feature here of the prophecy of Isaiah. God summons us by, by shouting at us. And what does he shout at us? He shouts at us, you are mine. And that's not a rude shout, but that's a glorious shout. That's a wondrous proclamation. God claiming us. We're not just people. We're not just flesh and blood. We're not just numbers or statistics. No, God embraces us in covenant love and says that we belong to him. You are mine. The apple of my eye. 
the object of my love, the recipients of my compassion. You're mine, you belong to me, you're part of my family. You see, we have a most precious identity. And it's that I belong to God. And you know, that's something, something to keep you going, isn't it, in 2010? When everything seems to be going against you, when sadness and sickness batter you, when failure and setback tend to depress you, when all looks dark and hopeless, then you and I need to remember this. The Lord created me, formed me, redeemed me, summoned me by name, and has declared about me that I am His. You see, and in that affirmation, in that commitment, there's always hope. No matter what. But you know, there's also something else. For we're not speaking just about the God who claims us here, as Isaiah says, but also about God's companionship with us. Notice what Isaiah says next. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, those are glorious, unimaginable assurances. Isaiah refers to three dangers here that come from water, rivers, and fire. What does he mean? Some think that he is speaking about the obstacles and the enemies that the exiles will meet as they return from Babylon to the Promised Land. But you know, I doubt that. I think that it refers to things that have happened in the past. And that that reference to waters is really a reference to Egypt and the Red Sea and how the Lord led his people through the midst of the sea upon dry ground. And I think that that reference to rivers is a reference to the river Jordan and to the entrance of the people of Israel into the promised land with all of its hopes and fears. And that reference to fire is a reference to Babylon. And to what happened, you recall, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace mentioned in Daniel chapter 3. Together, then, there are three dangers mentioned here, and actually they are representative of all the dangers that we meet in life. And you can be sure that also 2010 will contain its share of dangers, threats, enemies, obstacles, and setbacks. You can be sure of that. 
But now notice, and notice it well. The Lord does here not promise to exempt you from all of these things. Contrary to what so many people seem to think, being a Christian doesn't give you a pass that exempts you from experiencing the griefs and the sorrows of this life. Isaiah reminds us that we will pass through the waters and the rivers and that we will walk through the fire. Yes, and any number of you know And we're reminded of what that means in 2009. Waters of sorrow, rivers of sadness, fires of pain didn't pass you by. And that might cause you to ask, so where is the prophet and the blessing in being a covenant child? Well, it lies in this promise. This promise from God, I will be with you. Here the Lord is assuring you that we will never be all alone in our sorrows and grief and sicknesses. He will never allow all of those burdens to carry you away. And permit you to face all of these enemies in isolation or loneliness. No, he insists that he will go with us. And who is he? Verse 3 underlines for us that he is the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And that's the Bible's way of saying we couldn't have a more awesome, more wonderful, powerful companion than him. That we couldn't possibly ask for any more. But we get more. For he adds, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. Here you catch a glimpse of not just the Lord's power, but of the Lord's love and grace. We're precious to Him. We're loved by Him. While others have been rejected or exchanged by Him, He has adopted and embraced us. And little wonder then that the next words of the Lord are, Be not afraid, for I am with you. Be not afraid, fear not. That's God's refrain for his people in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and also today. Be not afraid, I'm always with you. And not just me, but also my son, who said before he ascended into the heavens, For lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. So, beloved, as 2009 ends, and as 2010 dawns, remember him 
who goes with you through the waters, through the rivers, and through the fire. No matter what ugliness may come upon you, in 2010 you will continue to have someone to hang on to and to hide in. And to prop you up. To keep you going when you feel like going no longer. You'll have the Lord, your Father. You'll have the Son, your Savior. You'll have the Spirit, your Counselor. But then, beloved, if Isaiah reveals to us the Lord who knows us, and the Lord who travels with us every day, he also reveals, finally, the Lord who secures our future. You know, as we enter into a new year and a new decade or into a new future, we people are often filled with a degree of trepidation. Children tend to worry in their own way about the future, where the future will lead them and what the future will do to them. Parents tend to worry about their children and how they will do and fare and what kind of friends they'll come up with. And grandparents naturally worry about who will die next of their family or their friends. There is a sense in which the future fills all of us with a sense of foreboding and dread. And one of the reasons why it does so is because we are so glued, as it were, to this life. We so often fail to remind ourselves of the bigger and the better picture. But thankfully God does not forget to remind us. And also in this connection, he uses Isaiah, the prophet. Look at the verses 5, 6, and 7. There God tells the prophet, and he tells us, he's going to gather his people from east and west and north and south. And of course, the immediate context here is that God has sent his people into exile because of their many sins against him, against one another against the land. He raised up Assyria and Babylon and they dragged his rebellious people away. And many of them never returned. But Isaiah says a remnant will. And God is going to gather that remnant from all directions. And he's going to bring them back into the land of promise. And he's going to restore them. He's going to compel the north and the south to give up his sons, it says, and his daughters. Indeed, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Do you hear how we're coming full circle here? Verse 7 brings us back to verse 1. God will reassemble his Old Testament people. They have a future. And you know, that's the immediate context of Isaiah's words. But you may know that, that Israel's 
future and Isaiah's prophecy also has what may be called an eschatological aspect to it. Something that relates to the end of time. Isaiah is not just talking about the events of his day, but also about future events. And today, God's people are scattered. God has his people in many lands and nations. And a lot of them live in nasty places. Sometimes we assume that life in Canada is the norm and that it's like this everywhere you go in the world. But then you go traveling. And what do you see? You see poverty, sickness, oppression, suffering and persecution, the comforts, freedoms, opportunities, and luxuries that we have are far from universal. And the result is that the church of Jesus Christ today is largely scattered and often battered. But there is hope for a new day, prophesies Hosea, is coming. Perhaps it'll happen in 2010, perhaps in the ensuing decade, but our God is going to gather his children, his sons and his daughters from the north and the south and the east, from the west, and he's going to bring them home. Bring them home once and forever. Isaiah 21 speaks about the city of God, the new Jerusalem. And it says that this city will not need any light, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And it says, too, that the nations will walk by its light, and that the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And finally, it says that those who live in it are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Taken together, what all of this means is that one day soon, God will, through His Son, bring an end to our wanderings and our dispersion. We'll get to go home forever, and to be together at last. All whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be gathered together in a new place. But notice it's called the Lamb's book of life. It's not called the book of merit. It's not called the book of reward. It's not called the book of just desserts. It's called the book of life. Of life because it's based on the merit and the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. We will enter a home renovated unlike any other. It'll be our home in glory. And it'll be our home forever. 
So, beloved, as you go through a new year and a new decade, keep your eyes fixed on the bigger and the better picture. No matter what happens to you in the time ahead, realize God, your God, who claims you, goes with you. He will lead you through. He will lead you on. And ultimately, he will lead you up to glory and to his throne. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.